host, Jake Weaver. Engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, hey, everybody. We're back. Another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm here with, well, not actually here, but in the ethereal sense, I'm together with a wonderful, unbelievable man, Mr. Chris Dyer. Chris Dyer, the visionary artist. And here's a little bio. Chris Dyer, born March 3rd, 1979, is a Peruvian-Canadian artist based in Montreal who exhibits, performs, and teaches his art worldwide. Some of his broader artistic themes include consciousness, truth, oneness, introspection, personal development, and kindness. And anybody knows we're about that, so we're going to get along great. He paints using acrylic, pencil, pen, spray paint, gouche, gouche, I guess, <laughs> and other media on a variety of different forms, including broken or blank skateboards in his early years, various sculptured and recycled items, and now commonly fabric or wood canvas. He's also known for his murals, logos, album covers, posters, illustrations, comic books, travel diaries, and YouTube adventure vlogs, art ventures they're called. He was the art director and brand manager of Creation Skateboards, the story movement, for three and a half years, creating designs for hundreds of skateboard decks. He teaches many art workshops and classes on technique, spray painting, traditional medicinal healing, and the business of art, as well as offering online classes. And he's created his own brand of conscious clothing and other goods, Positive Creations, which features some of his most well-loved art, his best-known stuff. Through his styles, mediums, and subject matters are always in flow. The main theme seen through his artwork is cultural and spiritual oneness of humanity and beyond, which we love on Midnight on Earth. And you were born, he was born in Ontario, or excuse me, born in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Dyer moved to Lima, Peru at age four, started skateboarding at eight years old. By 14, he joined a soccer <laughs> fan base street gang. Now, tell me if I pronounce this wrong. Sepulcro? How do you pronounce that? Sepulcro. Sepulcro, who were fans of yeah. Universitario de Deportes. And for people that don't speak Spanish, that's the University of Sports, right? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you studied, your parents sent you to Canada to study at age 17, 1996. And you lived with your grandmother. You attended Heritage College, University of Ottawa. And then from there, you moved to Montreal in 2000 to study illustration at Dawson College. And then in the summer of 2001, you went tree planting, which kind of opened you up more spiritually. And one more thing, as a visionary artist, Chris Dyer studied under and later taught alongside visionary masters, including Alex Gray, Robert Venosa, Martina Hoffman, Lawrence Caruana, A. Andrew Gonzalez, Maura Holden, and Amanda Sanch. So there you are. There's our little bio for Chris Dyer. Yeah, straight from my Wikipedia. That, very, was, uh, that was very typical. Yes, it came from Wikipedia. We did pull a couple things from your bio, from your Positive Creations website, which is so cool. So first thing I got to ask you, we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about your life. You're a psychedelic human. You're you're helping humanity evolve. Your artwork is fantastic, but you started out joining a street gang, street gang, 
And how do you, how yeah. does someone join a street gang? How does that happen? Well, um, I guess in 1993, I was 14 years old, and I actually went to a rich boys' school in Lima. So, you know, it's not people that usually need to do those kinds of things, but it was in style to go to a soccer stadium to cheer for the team, and it was in style to go to the the tough part of the stadium, uh, a certain tribune where all the, I guess, poor people or, you know, hardcore, and um just the, the the tough people that we weren't, <laughs> but we will go there to cheer. Like we're just like a gang of like you know probably ten to twenty white kids, and you know in a really interesting scenario. And eventually that fad kind of wore off. But I loved going there. It was really a place where you could go nuts and and like just you know uh, allow your destructive nature to you know. Uh, manifest. So once the fad ended and my rich boys school kids stopped going, I continued going, but then I kind of like started hanging out with actual more hardcore people, um, from different social, economical, uh, neighborhoods. And, uh, yeah, our, we would go out and cheer for the team and then we go out and fight the gangs of other you know, that would support other teams. So you actually engaged in physical fistfights with gangs from other teams that were... Well, it wasn't a fistfight, and I was just like a (laughs) short, weak, white kid. Uh, The (laughs) fights that you would have those days were called rock fights or guerreo. Okay. Where you have, like, groups of people of, like, I don't know, like 50 to 1,000 on a street, and, like, there's two main groups. And they're throwing rocks at each other. For some reason, there's just rocks everywhere. And just you're throwing at each other. It's kind of like a snowball fight, but with rocks. Instead. Yeah, it's a little more painful if you get hit. It, it's <laughs> not as fun. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fun. It's exhilarating. It's dangerous. It's super scary. But for a 14-year-old, it was like the maximum adrenaline rush. Sure. And then sometimes you fight cops. And um, I remember once I beat up a cop with a broomstick. And then another time I threw a, a bottle at a cop and it burst on his boots, but then they chased me on the street and ended up going to, to the, the, the jail that day. But then you can pay them off really easy. <laughs> the cops don't really get paid well. So if you got like five bucks, you're, you're off you're, the hook. But so once got- again, I'm white. So if <laughs> they put me in the, in the real jail, they just know I'm going to get beat up so hard. So it's like, okay, kid, just give me your money and get the hell out of here. Yeah, we, we don't want a death on our hands. Just give us the 10 bucks and let's just move right. on. Right. It's like they just put me in a, in like, you know, with the lions. And, yeah, yeah, but no it must good. have been a big adrenaline rush for you to just be like, you're fighting the cops, you're fighting other fans. You're just like in the mix of this. Are, are you still a, as big of a soccer fan now as you were then? No, no, I don't really care about team sports. It's kind of like, I, I can appreciate, like, say, if I'm in Peru and there's a game playing and, you know, my friends are watching and we drink some beers, I guess, like, it's an excuse to be together and to, you know, cheer for your country or your team. But I really don't care that much. Like, team sports are just kind of, like, distractions from, like, more important things that we sure. should be doing as humanity. Spiritual growth, uh, but then spiritual again, distractions development. are good, you know. Maybe it's, like, you know, a good way for community to get together or to just appreciate talent, you know, sports and, you know, like, like Olympics or even skateboarding, like you can see what humans can do with their bodies. And there's an aspect that's spiritual in that too. 
Right. But yeah, it's not my thing anymore. And you're done. <laughs> you're done throwing rocks at people for liking the other team. Yeah, I do it a lot less now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was this one time that uh, you know it's a long story, but it involved like the first time I did San Pedro, and in my San Pedro trip, the symbol of my soccer team that I was fan of urges me to go to the soccer uh, game the next day, even though it was like three hours away and I was in the middle of a San Pedro trip. But it's like, you got to go, you got to go. It's like, ah, fuck, okay. So I ended up going and ended up going to like the worst part of town. And I ended up being in a big brawl where I almost killed a person with a brick. I threw a brick at him and it almost missed his head and I hit a, like a wooden door behind him. So it sounded like, boom. And I was like, holy shit, like that actually almost hit his head. And he would have, would have fallen down and then he would have gotten beat the fuck up by the people of my gang. And then I realized, damn, man, like this is not a game. Like you could actually really kill a person here. And I, I have seen people get beaten up to death and just like bad things happening. So I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Maybe this is not for me anymore. So yeah, after that, that I was like probably 19 at that point and and you were and, still uh, yeah. you were still interested in art though during that time. I mean, you were doing street art. Is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, I've always been an artist since like young kid. So those days, uh, the art I would do would be say like the T-shirt for the gang. You know, I would really violent, you know, lettering and logos, and then you'd go out spray painting, tagging around. I, I wouldn't call it street art. It's more just straight up graffiti tagging for a gang. It wasn't even my name. It was just like sepulcro everywhere. But definitely helped me get a little bit of, uh, you know, like, I wouldn't even say can skills because you just kind of like, but, you know, it was a good experience. It was fun once again, you know, like doing illegal activities in the middle of the night, especially when you're like a a rich white kid that doesn't have to do that. You know, like, oh, my friends from school are like, Chris, why are you doing all these things? Like, you're just getting in trouble and stuff. But there was something in me that just really wanted to experience that danger or experiences and hang out with the other kind of people that lived in my city. So yeah, I don't regret it. For sure. The rebelliousness was there. The, uh, the, Mm -hmm. the the excitement of, of just the enticement of being in that kind of darker frequencies in a sense that we would describe now, but as a kid, you probably weren't really aware of. Right. But also, yeah, like the frustration of being a teenager and things not making sense and you wanted to like just break and destroy. Right. Uh, but also there's this um, there's this fascination about war in me. As much as I think war is whack and I never want anybody to like die in war, like it, it's a topic that's always interests me. Ever since I was young, like I wanted to be in war and be a general of a battalion and, you know, like... But, you know, now that I'm older and I'm not into it, like I can still watch like, you know, documentaries about Vietnam War and as, as heartbreaking as it is, it's still fascinating to me that humans put themselves in those kind of crazy positions. So, do, you, do you think it's I don't a, know. I don't know why it is. I think it's like a past life. Situation. That's what I was just going to say. Do you think it was a past life? That's so funny. You pulled that right out of my brain. Do you think that was a past life situation? You're potentially a warrior. You understood the art of war. And that that's somewhere in yeah. you. or maybe your ancestors. It's in your genetic memory. You know, I, I'm uh, maybe both, maybe both. Uh, but definitely, I have been told that I was like, you know, part of Japanese uh, army and also like native and just it's just we've had so many lives, and I'm sure a lot of those lives I was a uh, you know warrior 
you know, we've all murdered at some point in some past life and maybe I was good at it. <laughs> so right. maybe in this life, it's like, hey, this is something you could like, you know, excel at, Chris, if you <laughs> yeah. get into it. You know, a different. But then I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is what I want to get into in this lifetime. Maybe I should just focus on art and healing instead. Yeah. But I still consider myself a warrior, a spiritual warrior of the battalion of love. So yes. I still observe it in the same kind of perspective, just uh, with an opposite kind of uh, intention and sure. tools. Well, it's just an energy. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a force that you can channel. You can channel that into art. You can channel that energy into the art of war. You can channel it into all different kinds of things. And it could just mm-hmm. be, you know, part of, you know, we have this history of, of battling each other. It is kind of fascinating. I'm 30% Greek and my Greek ancestry can be traced back to the Spartan Greeks who are very... Mm-hmm very focused on the art of war. They actually made it a very specific art form, which allowed them to have so much military success over the years. Mm-hmm. But let's just get back to you. Mm-hmm. So eight, age 17, you were like, you know, you're in the street gang, you start doing street art, but you left to Ottawa at age 17 to go to school at the university of Ottawa. Yeah, I did college first and then I did Ottawa U mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I was totally not stoked about it because you know, my parents just sent me to live with my grandmother and she was sweet and all, but she had lived by herself for many years and she didn't like having this, you know, street gang teenager surfer where who couldn't surf anymore and it was just frustrated. I didn't know how to make friends and couldn't really resonate with anything in Ottawa. It's a very peaceful government Canadian city. Um, so what did you clean. do with your energy at that point? Were you, you know, was it like a self-destructive time in your life? Yeah. Once again, I went to self-destructiveness. I, I became a drunk, you know, like, you know, like every gang has that guy who's kind of like the Tasmanian devil destructing monster. <laughs> well, that was me. And, and I just kind of like, you know, went around uh, breaking everything in my past. And my Canadian friends at the beginning were like, holy shit, this guy's intense. He's just a destruction monster. <laughs> But then they thought it was hilarious, and then you know, I'm I sure it's a different frequency. Good. Yeah, different, definitely a different frequency of human to deal with. You're a peaceful Canadian, and here comes this person from Peru with all this Peruvian energy, and it's just like, whoa, man, whoa! As you said, the Tasmanian devil. So, um, yeah, but, they're not used to like you know street gangs and stuff. That seems like very alien kind of situation, especially for a Canadian. Canadians are very like chill chill and nice (laughs) you know (laughs) definitely well do you do you do you still drink alcohol do you recommend alcohol as a drug at all maybe in social situations where do you stand with alcohol at this point in your life Uh, i don't recommend it but i'm also not against it i guess it's like how much it controls you at one point i hit a wall and i stopped but now you know, I'll drink beers once in a while. Yesterday, my neighbors invited me downstairs. They're hiring friends over. I drank a couple of beers. No big deal. Sometimes I'll go to a park and I want to paint and I'll drink a six pack by myself and I'll get a little bit of a buzz. But it's not like I get like out of control or negative or destructive. I just kind of like, you know, it's a little bit of a buzz. You know, some people right. smoke a joint and they get a buzz and it's not no harm done. And I'll, I can drink some beer. Uh, but it's definitely not something I do every day. It's pretty fattening. It's not very healthy. Um, and you know, the reason why I've been drinking more is because now I'm, uh, I find myself alone in my life. So before I had a girlfriend and then we got separated by COVID and 
and I kind of I felt really lonely. So if I I could you know drink once in a while, at least I could like forget that negative feeling. But I shouldn't really be using these things to escape. Um, but yeah, I think a little bit's not a big deal as long as it doesn't get out of control. I see. So by age twenty one, you were studying in Montreal at Dawson College. Do you feel like that was a good experience for you? Did you learn anything beneficial there? Yeah, totally. Uh, it was three years of uh, illustration and design. So it's basically like I done fine art in Ottawa, but it's kind of hard to just be a fine artist, you know, coming out being all like, "Hey, here's some paintings. Who wants to buy them?" Uh, but illustration and design, it's more like, okay, like you're gonna do art for products, for posters, CD covers, paper graphics. Uh, you're gonna learn computer skills and um, you know, just things that people pay you money for art which was good to have because now I can do both. So basically, um, say like COVID hit, I can't do like exhibitions anymore, but I can do logos, I can do graphics, I can do a bunch of other things. And I, as you, you know, in your um, little uh, bio you did of me, you, you saw that, you know, I've done a bunch of things, including brand managed skater companies and yeah. do uh, art in a whole variety of ways. Uh, and I also teach. And the thing that I teach my students is like, don't just do one thing. Like, you know, have a bunch of skills under, in your tool belt, you know, depending of, of what's needed. So definitely Dawson was three years of that. But also it gave me the chance to uh, get out of class and try other things. Like I had a radio show. I was part of the skateboard club. I wrote articles for the newspaper. I was president of the environmental club. So, you know, I would go to protests. Like I was in a bunch of activities that had nothing to do with my art classes that also helped me uh, develop my personality, my taste, my, you know, my, my focus in life, my intentions, uh, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. Sure. So, so yeah, definitely college is a good place for that. So where were you at at that stage of your life spiritually? Because you, it seems like at this point in your life, you've developed, you're a pretty psychedelic, aware, multidimensional human. You've uh, got in touch with that part of yourself. But where were you at at 21, 22, 23? Had you got into those subjects in your life yet? Well, when I arrived to Montreal in my first year of Dawson, I was still on that drunk of drunkasoid kind of vibe of Ottawa, just self-destructive. And for the first time, I lived alone. Uh, so I had my own apartment, and I had a student loan, so I had money. <laughs> it's a dangerous combination, and you and you live with your homies, and uh, it was just kind of like even worse than Ottawa. So basically, I would be drunk like almost every night on forties, and just breaking stuff I, I would still do good in school like you know i would show up drunk to class and the teachers would be like oh this guy's crazy but he's doing better work than the rest of the students so i was even taking classes that i already passed in my previous college and university that i already had the credits and i would ask the teachers can i take this class also even though like you don't need to give me a grade because i already passed it and they're like yeah sure if you want to just because i was so thirsty to get better in my art even though I would show up drunk to class, um, you know, I would still, you know, try my best to do some good art. But so at the beginning, it was like that. And then as you read on my bio, I went tree planting. Too. So at one point, I just kind of like hit a wall and I was like, fuck, I'm just like this asshole and I'm depressed and just 
doing bad things and you know everybody hates me because i just keep on fucking everything up um so i left to the north of canada to be a tree planter for a couple of months and there's where i met the hippies <laughs> ah. and uh and they got different philosophies. Yeah, before I was like a metalhead punk kind of style, you know, like late 90s punk. Sure. And uh, and then you meet the hippies and they're all kind of, like you always look down on the hippies as in school or in TV. They're always like, oh, look at the hippies. They're a bunch of losers with no style and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're like and aloof you're and like, stupid. Oh, yeah, fucking, like, yeah, they're just like losers. But then you actually listen to their philosophies like, oh, well, that's actually real smart and healthy and actually they travel and that sounds like really exciting and maybe this is something that i should give a shot maybe you should be a hippie right <laughs> but, um, well so essentially so you were really attracted changed. sorry to cut in there but you were essentially attracted to those frequencies so to me what i would say is that at that stage in your life you were putting the feelers out because you were hit that brick wall so you're putting the feelers out for this more authentic experience and then from there you were attracted to the tree planting which led you to the hippies how does does that sound correct i just needed a change i need to get away so going tree planting none of my friends went so it was a chance to reinvent myself one way or another so basically um i even changed my name like i wasn't chris dyer anymore i was carlos sanchez i just wanted to be like somebody else and reinvent myself and be like okay like I'm always this crazy guy because I'm always a crazy guy and that's what people expect from me. But maybe if I go to a place where nobody knows me and even change my name, I can disassociate myself from how I always act and allow myself to just act how I feel like acting in the moment. Maybe I'll just, you know, drink less and be nicer and meet some new people with better influences. And I had both, you know, there was also assholes in the tree planting world uh, that will happen anywhere. Uh, on whatever group of people you, you you encounter. But definitely there was a lot of good philosophies, mostly traveling. And um, I, I had that girlfriend and she would travel the world. So I was like, wow, I want to be like a world traveler and I want to be an artist. So I want to be a traveling artist. And that was kind of like something that I, I, I imagined and I it was exciting in my beings. And that's pretty much what I've manifested in my life. Um, but also like, uh, just it was my first time after tree planting that I went hitchhiking. So basically, after tree planting, I just went hitchhiking across Canada, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like so that really opened. You know? And also, right, and also I started reading new kinds of books, like the Celestine Prophecy. Was the first time I read a book that was about spirituality, but with not with no religion in the mix. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that, I was Catholic because in Peru like everybody's Catholic so when you ask your parents like yo how do I reach God like how how am I going to be down with God like oh you got to go to church you got to be down with Jesus all this shit which might work for somebody but well, it didn't really work for me because I was still going to the soccer stadium after I would go to church <laughs> well, and throwing breaks at, at, at people so it, it wasn't really working out for me so it, it, but, it seems like it's this could be a stepping stone for some people to just grasp the very basic spiritual understandings and then you're supposed to kind of graduate from religion but some people don't they just kind of get locked in the lower brain function even with spirituality of the religion but I do want to ask you you mentioned that earlier in your life, even when you were part of the soccer gang, you you were still doing San Pedro, which is a powerful psychedelic. So tell me about the psychedelic experiences that you've had early in your life 
and how they influenced you in your personal development? Okay. Well, um, I wouldn't say I started psychedelics early. I started smoking weed at 18, which is late compared sure. to the usual kids these days. <laughs> yeah, these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, these days. Um, but back when I was young, the weed was just not around. Um, beer was, but weed wasn't. And then, you know, at 18, I started. And then almost like, you know, almost as I started weed, my friends got onto like all of them. It's like, okay, we started like, you know, stealing these San Pedro's from my neighborhood because in Peru, San Pedro is like a cactus that at the door of every single house. It's St. Peter, protect your door. And oh, wow. it has mescaline. So you would steal it with a, with a, machete on your bike and then run away put it in a towel and then we go to our beach houses and kind of like boil it and eat it and so when i did that with my friends we're not doing it in a ceremonious shamanic conscious way we just want to get fucked up right sure we're just like oh cool trippy and like but at the same time there is interesting things that come through where you're like, whoa, there's like another dimension that I've never really perceived before. So that was already kind of like an opening, but it's not like I was going to turn me good. It was just kind of like an awareness of like, oh shit, there's more than me. Yeah, I kind of like Jim Morrison says in their songs or whatever. Um, And then later when I moved to Canada, I would do mushrooms. But once again, it was not done in a conscious way. We do mushrooms and go to like a Green Day concert and drink beers along it. Like you can do mushrooms and super not be like super shanty spiritual. It's all about intention. Right. It just could um, be an into- intoxicating substance no matter what you're using it for. It could be just as right. simple as enhancing your alcohol experience. Right. It's it, it just vibes. You know, it opens up vibes. And, and if you're on the party mode vibe or debauchery, then it just, it's cool. You know, you, you even lose even more. Um, it makes you even more loose. But I think it's very interesting. That can be good. I think it's very interesting, though, that those San Pedro experiences um, were with you, that the spirit of the San Pedro, even though you weren't uh, evolved to a certain point at that stage of your life, your consciousness level was where it was, still the spirit of the San Pedro had become a part of your being at that point, and there was no letting go of that. So perhaps that experience being a part of you helped guide you to the the tree planting ceremony, the hippies and that frequency of human that you know, mm, helped you. I don't know about that. The, 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 the tree planting stuff happened many years later, I would think, but I would say that the San Pedro communicated in the trip that I had to go to a soccer stadium. Remember I told you right. the symbol of my soccer team is like, you got to go to a soccer stadium tomorrow. It's like, fuck, but three hours away, like, you know, and I'm, He's going to be so tired tomorrow after this. Like, no, you got to go. And through that, I went and I almost killed the person. And then I saw like, oh, shit, like I shouldn't be doing these stupid things. So there, I would say San Pedro taught me a lesson. But I wouldn't say like my salvation wasn't hippiness. My salvation is just being conscious and learning who I am. Like uh, hippie is just another box. But maybe hippies are people who are like taking themselves out of other boxes that – society has put you in traveling an activity that hippies do or psychedelics are activities that help you get out of boxes but hippiness in itself is another box and some hippies are deep in their box and they think it's so hello hello are you there chris Uh uh-oh we lost chris
We lost um, here. Him. Oh, here he is. He's back. He's back. Just cut out a little bit there. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, so we're back. Um, sorry about that. So, you know, they say technology is perfect. It allows us to communicate so far away, but it still has flaws occasionally. Um, so when did you kind of branch out yeah. from street art, which was so, your beautiful graffiti art, and then how did you discover yourself as a visionary artist? Like what made you kind of go in more psychedelic styles? Um, my art was always kind of trippy. Uh, I'm a kid of the 80s. It was a very colorful uh, decade. And my influences were always like skateboard graphics were also pretty psychedelic, if you ask me. And album covers. Oh, yeah, like, you think of the Pal Peralta Even if I didn't do psychedelics, like, you know, the cartoons I liked were like Masters of the Universe and Ghostbusters and J. Joe. Very colorful psychedelic, you know, and superheroes. Like, everything is psychedelic if you look at, look at it from that point of view because it comes from the world of imagination and psychedelics open up the world of imagination. Um, doing, say, like, once I, I got conscious with the psychedelics, say, like, once I went tree planting and I started saying, like, oh, shit, like, uh, spirituality is past religion and I want to start seeing things from the point of view that the Celestine prophecy is showing me. So then I would do mushrooms and I'd start experiencing, you know, what it would be to be a tree or this and the other. So then I allowed myself to go more positive and then my psychedelia would be more positive, kind of like more stereotypical of what you think psychedelia should be, while before it was more like monsters, which is a kind of psychedelia, but it's more of the dark side. Um, and yeah, and, and I never really knew what visionary art was till like years later. I was just kind of like doing it. And then, you know, eventually I found Alex Gray and Arrowhead and it's like, oh, there's other people who actually also do this thing that I do. At the beginning, it was both like awesome. There's other people like me, but also like, oh, I guess I'm not the only one, you know, because <laughs> I like to be unique. <laughs> well, you are unique. But, I mean, uh, your, your style is very unique. It's very special. It, it's it's all the incredible qualities, and including this very, you know, uh, Mayan strain of kind of like South American intermixed with the visionary art style it's, it's absolutely beautiful it's absolutely unique i mean i think it's beautiful but i think that's so funny thank you i think it's so funny that you were doing well, that on your own not really realizing that there were other people doing it and then somebody in, in a sense came up to you and said hey did you realize you're a visionary artist you know <laughs> it's really interesting how that well happens. the whole visionary artist thing was uh yeah, as I said, was something that I learned through the webpage Arrowhead, uh, which was a uh, webpage of psychedelics. And they would kind of like have a gallery and be like, oh, look at these other guys. And be like, oh, cool. There's like, you know, 15 to 20 others like me. At the time, the lineup of visionary artists was very small. It was like, you know, Alex Gray and 20 others. I remember. So... Uh, so then it was easy for me to get into that scene, even though I was the one that was like more, more far away. Because at that time, everybody was on the West Coast, either Seattle or Vancouver or California. And I'm like Montreal, Canada. I'm not in the right country and I'm on the East, you know. So, but I was out in California a lot for the skate industry. Uh, and not only the skate industry, but it was the skateboard brands that were linked up with uh, with reggae culture and 
So basically I was at Reggae the River and Sierra Nevada, all these like reggae festivals. And that's how I met like Roman Viagrana and Jen Ingram, who ran uh, Tribe 13, which was one of the first visionary crews that made shows at festivals and stuff. Right. And I do they knew that. my work, you know, through the through, through the reggae scene and the skateboard scene that I was part of. And they're like, hey, you're doing visionary art, too. You should kind of like be part of our interdimensional art shows. So I finally like I started doing that around 2006. Finally, in 2008, I made it in person and met some of the the main people that scene. And yeah, from there on, it just kind of like grew and I've been part of the the scene and now the scene is gigantic. There's oh, like the visionary art community. Visionary it's it's mind blowing actually how many visionary artists. I remember around 2002, 2003, there was a very small group of people calling themselves visionary artists. And I do now remember seeing your stuff at Reggae on the River in the past and various festivals that I had been to. Um, but and, and you know it's really funny. The mm-hmm. thing the thing about your art is that you know when you have these trans transcendental experiences these amazing transcendent experiences where you're interfacing with these divine frequencies you can get these images in your mind but it's very hard to translate those images back into this dimension i feel like your artwork allows those images to be transmitted back to the third dimension how do you feel about that i don't know i i i i <laughs> It's a it's an interesting thing because I'm not really trying. I, I don't think I could even do that because when I'm, you know, I'm an ayahuasca dude now. Um, that's my main medicine. Oh yeah, we'll uh, get and to that's that. how I've actually started to see. I didn't really see much on mushrooms. I feel on mushrooms. I feel on weed. I'm more of a feeler than a seer. Uh, that's why visionary art is kind of like a weird term for me because I don't actually have many visions. But in ayahuasca, I do. But when I'm in ayahuasca, I'm not really there to take notes and sketch big these things. I think I'm there to fucking dematerialize my bullshit and, and heal as a person. And there might be visions that accompany the experience. But anytime I'm trying to think like, ooh, that looks cool. I should make a painting of it. Ayahuasca is like, come on, Chris, you're not here for like doing homework or, you know, doing mind activities. You're here to drop that bullshit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. So I don't really take notes or, or mental photographs. And, you know, sometimes things stick through and I, I might sketch it or paint it after. But I would say the things that come out are more subconscious or maybe like a flavor or maybe I learned how to paint feelings. I guess that's how it is more. Like I'm trying to paint my feelings. So if I can capture visually the feeling of being in an intense psychedelic trip, then I'm describing what other people are also going through, even though I'm using my own language for it. It it definitely feels that way because when I look at your artwork, it feels like the things that I've experienced on psychedelic trips, some of the, especially things like DMT. I personally haven't had an ayahuasca experience yet, but I've definitely done DMT enough to know that they're similar. And I've, I, I feel like I've seen a lot of those images, some of those beings during my most intense DMT experiences. So it seems like you're interfacing with some sort of mm-hmm. collective consciousness type situation, some Akashic record, some download that you're getting through your inspiration in the moment. You know, it's really interesting that how that works, but some people, especially artists, you know, some people see the artist as a tortured soul. 
Now, do you deal with things like depression and anxiety and the negative aspects of life with your art? Because your art seems so positive and beautiful, but then so many people say the artist is a tortured soul. So I was wondering how you process those emotions. Do you process that with your art? Mm -hmm. I don't like those kinds of, I don't like those kinds of negative stereotypes, types, mm -hmm. but I do suffer as everybody else. I think everybody suffers. Uh, maybe I'm just more aware of it and I got a different level of sensitivity. I think that the, the thing that makes a person become an artist almost is that they have a level of sensitivity that becomes almost like overwhelming and you got to find a way to get that shit out. For me, it's like visuals and I need to ground that energy through something you know and it's not just art it's like all the creations that i do positive creations in general is more than just paintings but um yeah i'm just a creative person and yes i do have levels of anxiety and i do have sadness and i do get tortured by my own brain but that's why i focus on positivity that's why positive, right. positive creations is kind of like my my boat to serve through the oceans of this crazy world that includes the the hard times and not all my paintings are positive sometimes i gotta paint my negative aspects too okay to That's what I was wondering. It, you know to to give it some a voice to communicate with me and be like hey i'm here too i deserve also to be acknowledged and healed you can't just ignore me and say that everything's la 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 good no like you know, we have to transmute this together, but I can't transmute it if I ignore it or if I treat it as if some, it's something bad. Like the negativity is not bad. It's just a different aspect of myself that's teaching me, you know, all the experiences that God wants to learn through me. Exactly. And, uh, and it's all good. So I think I would love to think that artists use their art to express themselves and it becomes a medicine to himself and then others because it becomes like uh, a mirror of human experiences are very valuable. Um, but I don't know if every artist does that, you know, some artists just like to do cool shit and be cool and whatever, but we all got our own trip and I'm not here to judge anyone. <laughs> of course. I think that your art is service because to me it seems like you're a service oriented person. You are doing exactly what you should be doing. You're exercising your talents in a way that's enlightening people and helping people evolve. And the byproduct of your service is, you know, the financial abundance, the things that you're able to do to support yourself. But I feel like you're devoted to service. Like your, your art, all the things that you do are all service oriented. And by service, I mean service to that, you know, the most high, that bigger, greater mystery that we don't even know what it is, but that mystery, the love, I feel like your life's devoted to love and service. Do you, do you agree with that? Definitely. Um, the thing that once it turns positive after tree planting, I was always positive inside, but you, you bury yourself in negativity just because that's kind of like how you handle the situation of being in a negative world. But once I allowed myself to be positive, I realized that the more I gave, the more I received because I was everybody else and we're all one at the end of the day. And as I started doing ayahuasca at age 33, I, the message that always became very clear to me is that I'm not here to just, you know, serve myself. I'm here to serve the collective. But when I serve the collective, I'm also going to be so served by the collective back and by God and the universe itself. I'm always going to be blessed. I'm already so blessed and I, I got to be nothing but 
grateful for it. So whatever talent that I've gathered in this life, whatever momentum I've had with my career, I try my best to use it to benefit others. So we all might get our momentum and blessings and abundance because, you know, that's what I want to see in the world. I want everybody to be abundant and happy and, and, you know, or as happy as they can be at least or accepting of the good and the bad of life and have a good perspective. Like, isn't that the world, like the heaven we all want to live in where like we all just kind of like made it? Not this world where like some have it and others don't and your happiness comes from beating your brother and sister. (laughs) Like that's not really, that doesn't resonate with me anymore, but that's what we're being taught for so long. And it's unfortunate. We have to break those codes and those boxes we've been placed in. Yes. We got to get out of the competitive mindset and get into the creative mindset. Amateurs compete, professionals create, and there's everything's made out of God. There's an infinite, everything is infinite. Therefore, if we just keep creating, we keep serving, we're going to have the best possible experience. I mean, it seems like, it seems like you're a leader. I mean, how do you feel about being in a leadership role in this stage in humanity's development? Um, I don't like, I don't like the term of being a leader because it kind of makes me sound like I'm above or better than somebody else. Uh, I'd rather just do my thing. And if it becomes a good role model for anybody else, amazing. And I'm definitely here to, I'm, I would even take the the label of an elder. Not that I'm old, I'm not elderly. I'm I'm 41 years old, uh, but I am a couple of generations above somebody who's in their 30s or in their 20s or even less. And they're like, oh, this uh, artist that you know did his trippy thing and she succeeded, and now he lives a happy life of traveling and good people and good music and food and art, and you know he he made his thing work out. And uh, if I can share that, even just the knowledge that that is possible to a younger artist, then I can become that uh, way shower, that guy who's pointing in a direction or just give faith to people that a life of creativity and goodness can end up in blessed uh, outcomes. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'm happy to serve in that way. It seems like humanity is moving towards heaven on earth. Like we want as humans to have a conflict-free scenario. I mean, we want everybody to be clothed, fed, safe, happy, and feeling secure about themselves. And it seems like that's the natural Mm -hmm. state of humanity. But there's there's some veins of thinking that that would say that humanity is a virus, that we don't deserve to be on the earth, that, that all we're doing is causing problems. And I like to talk to my guests about this because this is such a prevalent <laughs> thing for some people. But I think that humanity is this beautiful creation and, and, it's, and our end game, our goal is to move like what you talked about to a heaven on earth scenario. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about people saying humanity is a virus and then also move, but then at the same time we're moving towards the heaven on earth scenario? Well, we got the potential for both. And um, we could become this vermin that destroys everything if we allow the negative aspects of ourselves to dominate. And uh, But we also can just very easily wisen up and be like, hey, wouldn't it just be nice if everybody gets like food to eat, clothes, a place to live? And then from then on, we can start putting cherries on top about how great we make our life without having to bring anybody down. Like, 
it's really not that complicated. But it, it, the thing is that people in power, the people who own the media, are always convincing us that we're these, you know, animals that became a little bit smarter and we're just trying to figure it out, but we're not that smart and we're going to like fuck it up and we're going to die. If they keep us in that mentality, they can stay in that position of control where they got all the powers. But really, they're so disempowered because they're just like, you know, serving negativity and they're going to just destroy themselves and they're not, how can they ever be happy living from that modus operandi? But, so yeah, they're trying to convince us that we're a vermin, that we're stupid, that we don't deserve to live so that we all just kind of like, you know, succumb to their control and just allow whatever destruction they want to do in order to gain more power. Um, I think it's all like, a big lie you know there's a lot of lies in our world and it's important to remember that we are god made flesh not just jesus all of us are god made into like physical matter with free will in a world of duality it's kind of like a virtual reality video game that god's playing through us but we actually get to decide because we are actually god in that position of forgetfulness of who we really are and be like okay what do i do today do i eat healthy or do i go and you know, do something bad. Every day we got that choice to play this virtuality video game, you know, with challenges and, you know, uh, obstacles and and uh, bosses at the end of each level. And, you know, it's, it's the ultimate super funnest video game that God's playing through us. So I'd say let's just have fun and make the most out of it. And I think the way you win the game is when you go back to source, when you become back to God. So it's all about like shedding all the negativity and becoming good again. I think that's a, a, like a, a nice perspective to have about what life is about because then we stress a little bit less about the bad things because the world will have bad things. But to say that we are the bad guys in the video game, that we deserve to be destroyed, it's a very negative outlook that I would rather people discontinue because it takes away our power to really be the heroes that save the day. Yeah, and that's and, who we are. And we are the heroes and that save we, the day. We could create any world that we want. I mean, we have this goal. It seems like the goal of humanity, the game, like the 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 task, I guess, to beat the game would be to create heaven on earth, right? Like, so if we're in this divine simulation right, and, yeah. and all these things, wouldn't the, the, the purpose of the game would to be to create heaven on earth? Right. You know, just have fun, you know, and not suffer so much. I guess like suffering is kind of part of the equation because there's lessons in that too. Like you'll still suffer because, for example, you could have clothes, food, uh, you know, a nice house, but then you could like a girl and the girl doesn't like you back. And right there, you cannot take away that kind of suffering. So it's not like suffering disappears from planet Earth. That's kind of like the nature of this planet to still have that equation in order to create contrast and lessons and growth. But if we can take the, the suffering from the basic needs, you know, like people working too hard for, for too little money and, you know, unhealthy food, unhealthy media, fear and lies and all the fucking shit that they keep on throwing at us to not let us awake, awaken. But you know what? Every time I go down to the zone of, you know, God consciousness, when I do my ayahuasca trip, God's always said, like, dude, the video game, you already won the video game. It might be in the future, it might be in the very distant future, but you always, and it's inevitable, you'll always just end up back here, going back to my body, being everything in bliss. That's how the, the movie ends. And, you know, how long it takes depends up to you. And just 
enjoy it, you know, savor it, you know, the good and the bad. It's, it's why we put ourselves here to to experience this this situation and, you know, try your best and don't feel bad if, you know, you you lose the video game some days. Press reset and next, you know, keep on going. <laughs> well, it seems so, like, uh, you know, humanity, as we raise our vibration, we can actually go up to a different octave of experience. So I like to liken it to a piano, like a C major scale. So you have C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. And then at the very bottom, you have low C. And at the very top, you have high C. But when humanity raises our vibration, when we ascend, we go up to a different octave. So what we once perceived as high C is now low C. And that high C is way higher and as we keep doing that, we can evolve, evolve. We're never going to get past the suffering and the certain things that are uh, emotional. But we can get to a place where there is no conflict, where we have the spirituality, the technology, the art, and everything. So we're ambassadors of love and light throughout the universe. It just Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think that the more we, we raise that consciousness to the higher octaves, as you say, the easier it is to deal with the lower times, the sad times, because you just understand it as part of the equation and you just cruise through it with more elegance. Like right now, Era is cruising through some degree of struggle and separation. So it's kind of like training for us to not get defeated by it. You know, if we can go through this, and it doesn't destroy us if you don't suicide or give up or do something really bad. Um, you will be stronger and better for it later on once things go back to a lesser degree of struggle. Right. And you know, one thing I want to talk to you about, and Chris, I really appreciate everything. Everything you said has been so beautiful and it's recorded for all time. We're going to, oh, this is going to be influencing <laughs> people, you know, hundreds of years from now, however long it takes for us to get to heaven on earth. People are going to be listening to this recording and they're going to be loving okay, it. Cool. <laughs> but um, one thing before, I really want to talk to you about kind of like your, the Bill and Ted movie. Well, you know, they say that. It's funny. People say the Bill and Ted movie, but the thing is, is that it's an interesting model, but we're also incorporating the God aspect. We're incorporating deep, resonant spirituality with the technology, with everything, the art, everything. And that, that's the future of humanity. I, I really feel that way. I just, we just got to get there, you know? But um, one thing I want to talk to you before we go into your uh, mm -hmm. ayahuasca re retreat that you have in Peru, I think it's fascinating. I'm a big Beatles fan, and I think, think it's fascinating that you painted uh, part of the Beatles ashram in India. You actually did the I Am the Eggman e exhibit, the I Am the Eggman part of it, where you painted a beautiful piece of artwork on top of an egg that's implanted into the ground. Now, how did you get that gig? Who, who approached you about that? Oh, it wasn't a gig. It was just, I heard the word on the street through artist friends that the Maharishi uh, Mahez Ashram from India, that the, they call it the Beatles Ashram because the Beatles went there back in the day. Uh, but it, it, the Beatles don't own it. It's the Maharishi that, that used to own it. But even he abandoned it in the 80s and then it got just abandoned, taken over by the jungle. And by now, it's a tiger reserve. It, and, you know, it's just like these weird abandoned buildings with re weird shapes because, you know, it was a trippy, you know, meditation 
situation. But I heard the word on the street that street artists had started to just show up and paint these structures. And I, when I saw pictures, I was like, oh, shit. Okay, this year I got to go to India. And I've been, always wanted to go to India. And it was my 40th birthday. And I was like, okay, this is a, tri- this is a trip that I'm going to give myself as a present. I went there for a month. I linked up with some locals. We talked with the organization that runs the Tiger Refugee. Like they're aware that artists want to paint it, but they just can't let it be a free for all where whoever shows up paints whatever. But they're also not artists. They don't know what's good art or bad art. They're just kind of like, you know, guardians at this, you know, tiger refugee. So we went there and we talked to them and they didn't even know if my art was good or not. They just kind of saw my Instagram that had like thousands of followers. And they're like, well, if he's got lots of followers, it must be that he's well-respected or whatever. So they allowed me to get that the, the, what you call an egg. It's not really an egg, egg shape, but it's a meditation <laughs> dome, like I a two-floor meditation dome. Where at the bottom you can meditate, and then you can go up a ladder to the top through a hole and go inside and meditate. Um, you know, some trippy '60s sculpture made for meditation, and uh, and I and I was able to capture that and. I had smuggled some spray paint into India, but mostly I did it with bucket paint, which is unusual for me because I'm so spray paint. But yeah, uh, it was I did it for fun. Nobody paid me. I did it because it was my vacation. It was my birthday present, and I wanted to paint something awesome at a special place uh, that had to do with the Beatles. <laughs> well, I saw I saw that, and I was just like, oh my god, this guy is amazing. He's all over the place, and he loves the Beatles. You know, I'm sure you love all music, right? You're you're, you're probably yeah. a person that likes jam bands. You like electronic music. I know your art has been on uh, people like Tipper. You've done an album cover for him. I I know. So it seems like your your musical tastes are pretty diverse. Yeah, I'm a record collector. Um, and I've been collecting records for like 20 years. But before that, I was collecting CDs. And before that, I was collecting cassettes. Um, definitely like music in its variety. And Beatles, of course, uh, touched my life in the days that where I first was doing San Pedro, actually. And um, funny enough, uh, a few months before I did the Beatles Ashram, I also painted the Bob Marley Mausoleum. So I got to paint two landmarks of heroes of mine a few a few months next to each other. So was that uh, the Bob Marley Mausoleum? Did you get invited and, uh, to paint that? I saw the painting online. I thought you did a fantastic job on that. Did, did you get invited or was that like a situation, again, like in India where you, you. could do it if you met a certain no. criteria? No, no, no. That was that was an official that was an official invitation. Like the Beatles Ashram is an abandoned situation that I, you know, went and figured out in person. But uh, the Bob Marley Mausoleum was a was a gig that I got uh, hired for. I wasn't aware that the Marley family was aware of my art, but I guess they were, and they invited me to paint the place where Bob Marley grew up. And then he got buried in the mountains of Jamaica, Nine Mile. And uh, they're starting to invite different street artists there. And yeah, I got to paint the mural, which was awesome. You know, my first time in Jamaica. And I've been a dreadhead for 20 years. So (laughs) it was due time. (laughs) Well, I have dreadlocks as well. I'm a big reggae fan. I feel like we've crossed paths at different points. I live in Portland, Oregon now. But I traveled all over the West Coast in my 20s and into my 30s going uh-huh. to shows and festivals. I, I, I feel like we've crossed paths, but we will again. And here we are in the ethereal dimension 
but right. in the in the future we'll be in the third dimension together. You got and uh-huh. anytime you come to Portland, Oregon, let me tell you, you have a place to hang out. Come see me. You know, we'll we'll have a great time. Um, I do want to talk to you about ayahuasca. Now you mentioned that you're an, cool. I, an ayahuasca you. dude. So you gave yourself mm-hmm. that title. <laughs> so what is the difference between <laughs> ayahuasca and I'm so bad with my words. I'm so like <laughs> It's okay, dude. It's totally fine. It's absolutely right. fine. We're just serving God and we're having fun. We can do whatever we want, right? As long as we're just in sync with service. Um anyway, so tell me the difference from your experience before we go into what ayahuasca is the difference between D, a DMT experience for people that have smoked or tried DMT versus an ayahuasca experience, which has DMT as the compound. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't really talk too much about DMT, the smokable, because I haven't really done it too much. I did it my first time in 2004 when I first was learning that it even existed and the friend had it and, for me, it was like bungee jumping into crazy land. It was the first time I ever had visuals and there were like too many visuals and <laughs> it was like, whoa, crazy. And it, it lasted so quick that when it finished, I was like very confused about what all that was or what it meant or uh, there was no like lesson to it other than what I could interpret. Like, oh, like there's so much more and stuff like that. After that, I didn't really do it uh, or at least you know, I'd try it, but you know, sometimes you try it and it doesn't really work. But um, I kind of like, I'm very careful on what I take because I don't want to unbalance my chemical situation in my brain. Mm. Um, and that can happen sometimes. And so, but then another, I guess, DMT experience that I did have, which is not DMT itself, but very much so, it was a uh, smoking bufo last year in, in Mexico. Uh, and that was something else that was very different from my first DMT experience because there I went so far that I just disappeared and I don't remember anything. I just blanked out. Like I came back and I was very confused and I've been remembering little bits through dreams or when I go deep into the ayahuasca void, there I remember what happened in my Bufo trip. So is that a similar but, compound to DMT? Because I, I haven't actually heard of, is that the toad kind? Is that from the, the, the that's the toad. So it's basically five MAO DMT. Right. It's kind of like four times, it's four times stronger than normal DMT. Yeah. I, and I, you go so far, like, so with Aya, you go like up into the realms of whateverness. I don't, I don't like to put words to it because I really can't say where I'm going with Aya, but you know, you get more and more deep into it. And at one point, you, you're in this void of everythingness that's just infinite and uh, eternal. And you're just kind of like part of it. And it, it's you, it's God. But you can go further. God's like, yeah, this is amazing. This is great. But there's more. But if I show you more, it kind of blows your mind. And I don't want to break you. And sometimes God's like, okay, let's go. And takes me to that white place. It's basically white. There's no more visions anymore. And you just fucking dissolve and your mind disappears and you just swim in the body of that higher Mystery. aspect of God. Yeah. That, right. So this um, is the bufo. Oh, no, that was the ayahuasca. One, 
I'm sorry. That's I, ayahuasca. And she's taking me there gently and without breaking me, even though it's also very shocking for the body. Like you always got to remember to breathe and the body's like, where are you taking me? What is this thing? I'm a physical body. Like, what are you doing to me? Um, the body's always complaining. But I, I, you get there and you breathe enough and you, you work through it and then you come back down and you, you're grateful for what you had. Well, the buffo was different. You smoke it, and in one second, boom, the sun explodes, you explode, and you go straight to the top into whiteout mode. And it's so shocking to go from physical to everythingness that quick that I was having panic attacks for days after. Like my body fought, my body, my mind, and my ego all thought I had died. been killed, which in a way, I guess it was it was an ego death, but it was a very radical situation for my nervous system, and uh, I couldn't sleep that first night. It was too much, and this was after me doing ayahuasca twenty times, wow. and still it was too too aggressive, too too intense, too masculine in a way. You know, ayahuasca is very feminine, mm-hmm. and ayahuasca is very plant, and bufo is an animal. <laughs> bufo is an animal. You know, I'm a vegetarian on top of it. So it was very aggressive. It, it, it didn't really care if it broke my body or my psyche. It's like, oh, I'm going to show you what God is no matter what. Here you go. It's like, whoa, dude, like chill. Like I'm a sensitive human here. Don't do, break me. Do you think it was the uh, amount of Bufo? Maybe it was like so if you would have done like half the amount, you would have had a, a lesser experience? Or what do you think about that? Sorry, I didn't understand what you said. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Do you think it was the amount of bufo that you did like maybe if you would have done like half the amount you would have had a more processable experience what do you think about no that? with bufo it's all or nothing interesting no bufo is all or nothing and bufo's every guy you, you speak with is like no bufo you just fucking go to the top or nothing and that's why i i always when people ask me about it like have very careful with that one it's the, the strongest one. It's like, you know, like if you want to be, do drugs as a beer chugging competition and you want to show you can, you know, drink the strongest liquor, Bufo will be the one, but you might not come back. If you don't do it with the right shaman, with the right support system, it might just break you in half. And who wants to live their life all fucking crazy? Because we couldn't, we couldn't really understand. Like basically when you're trying to understand God, it, it could just really drive you crazy because it's not easy to understand from the point of view of a physical being in a dualistic world. It's, 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 it's a situation. <laughs> you got to be careful with it. Yeah, I did try it once. And once in my life, I smoked 5-A-M-A-O-D-M-T. And all I remember is, like you said, is the mm-hmm. white flash. All I remember was them telling me whatever it was. I don't even remember if it was beings or what. It was just like, it, it's not your time and you have to go back. That's all I remember. Mm. It was total blackout. Mm. I was like doing convulsions. Well, that was very kind of them. <laughs> yeah. And in <laughs> in in there was a video camera on me as I did it, and I'm on the floor, and my legs are shaking violently. Whew. When I see the video, it scares me. It's like really like, holy shit, what the fuck happened there? Um, yeah, it was definitely not, 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 not a game, and uh, I wouldn't do it anymore. But there was lessons to it, and I'm grateful for it, and it definitely did expand me in a psychic kind of way, and and um, it's all lessons, you know. But I'd rather do with Aya. Uh, with Aya, take me. It, Aya is still very fucking strong, and 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 you know, 
I, like I did Aya last weekend. I did a retreat. It was the only one I've done this year. And I remember being in there being like, oh my God, this is exhausting. Like, you know, no wonder I only do this a couple times a year because it's just, it's not easy. Like the body does not like being taken to such places that are so unbodied. <laughs> right. It really takes all the energy, your life energy, your physical energy to propel your consciousness into these other dimensions. So yeah, tell me about ayahuasca. So ayahuasca seems like it's different than Bufo. It's different than DMT, the synthesized version, NNDMT. So tell me about ayahuasca and how did ayahuasca come into your life? Well, I'm Peruvian, as I told you, and I'm a psychedelic artist, as you know. And everybody always thought that my art came from ayahuasca. And I didn't really like that because I don't like when people look at this painting that came from my heart, that came from my energy, from my hard work, and they say like, oh, this drug must have done that for you, huh? And I'm like, fuck no, I did that. You know, I worked really hard and that's my own vision and that's my own, you know, I wasn't even doing psychedelics for years when I was doing my first um, big canvases and and people always attributed to ayahuasca and I, my, my ego was like not stoked with that, you know? So I do admit it was ego defending itself. Eventually, I was having a show in Lima in 2013. I was taking my wife at the time to Seal of Peru. And this shaman that I was in touch with over on Facebook and MySpace and all this stuff said, like, hey, I can play some music for your opening if you want. It's like, yeah, yeah, come and play some music. And then I met him and he's like, yo, man, are you ever going to come to the jungle and actually meet Aya? It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like, come on, man, you're here. You're Peruvian. Like, let's have this experience. Let's get to know where you, you don't have to do it you know all the time it's like okay cool so i went to the jungle and it definitely in that first ceremony ayahuasca kind of like showed off all her powers like she gave me the best you know psychedelic voyage you could ever have you know the ones that you see in movies and stuff you know with all the visions and all the feels and trippiness and and uh, mystic knowledge from the ancient future alien past and just kind of like, I was just like, wow, just like, holy shit. And on top of it, I threw up and some negativity came out. It's like, wow. And on top of it, it got some negativity out of me. So then a couple of days later, I did it again. And I told Aya, like, okay, thank you for showing me how great you are. And she actually told me in that trip that I was already working with her all my life, that I didn't have to drink ayahuasca in order to be with ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is not and a specific drink or root it's a spirit of god of uh, mama gaia of la pachamama it's you know it's mother earth that can get this vortex uh, portal opening enough for me a human to hear her voice and visions clearly and be like hey here i am let me talk to you <laughs> while well, i got you here um but so then she said like yo like You've already been doing the good the good work. Thank you so much, Chris. Like I'll always be with you. Like don't worry about it. Like you're doing great. And then on the second uh, ceremony, I told her like, okay, thank you for showing me your beautiful side, but I'm okay to struggle a little bit. I know that ayahuasca can kick your ass too. So if you need to kick my ass and get some of my anger out, go for it. And that whole trip was like me. I turned into fire. I didn't have no visions. It was not fun. And I just felt like I was on fire in my belly for hours and hours, just like with the biggest heartburn, just like, oh, my God, when is this going to end? 
And finally, I, I tell the shaman, like, dude, like, enough. And he's like, okay, come here. And he sang one song that made me projectile puke. So, all, and then when I projectile puke, he said, like, oh, there came your anger. You know, ahí salió la rabia. And I was like, oh, my God, how did you know that I was asking for my anger to come out? He's like, well, I just saw it. So, all those things kind of confirmed to me that this is more than just, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, he saw the specific energy I was calling out. Uh, the anger felt like fire. The fact that he can command me to puke by singing a song as if he was like a snake charmer or something, it was just mind-blowing to me too. You know, there's certain, also uh, how the, there's certain pop songs that make me feel that way. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> good one. But, uh, but, you know, there's a big correlation between the music and the vibration and the ayahuasca. You know, that's why the shaman is so important, you know, for him to know the right code that he puts in each drink and and the music that he's going to play during the ceremony. It's super important. You can't just like, well, I guess you can drink it and, and, and not have somebody there to coach you, but the experience is, is not as beneficial. So was this the shaman Herbert Quinteros that was with you that first and second time? The shaman that you're working with now? Yeah. So that, that was the same shaman that came and played music yeah, at your he's opening? Yeah, my man. He's, Okay, and this is your dude. I actually looked him up online. Yeah. He seems like an amazing guy. He just looks really happy. He's got the vibes. You know, he seems like a, a really amazing shaman. Yeah, he's great. Shaman. Yeah. Do you feel like you're a shaman at yeah, this point? Yeah, totally. Basically, I was lucky enough that... Me? Yeah, like you in life. You uh, feel like you... We can you... answer that later if you want. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you about Herbert first. So Herbert, um, I was lucky that the first person I gave a chance to like work with was actually a competent person because there's a lot of charlatans and, and even negative shamans out there. They call them brujos that can really, you know, not do a good job and not only not heal you, but actually harm you. It's very important that when you go there, uh, you do it with the right people. So I've just kept working with him and he's become one of my best friends and I love him. He's my age. He knows seven different languages. He travels the world. He plays 10 different instruments. His music's amazing. He's just a good guy, but he's also not a perfect guy. He makes mistakes. He's a human being. And I like that because then I can relate to him. He, you know, like who can relate to somebody who's perfect? Who is perfect? So, yeah, he's just one of my best friends, and I'm very happy to have him in my life, and I'm very happy that he does these workshops with me and that, you know, I do my retreats at his place in Peru. Yeah, it looks like you have a thing called the Healing Visions Art and Recreation Retreat in Tarapoto, Peru. Is that correct? Yeah, he, uh, he's got Katari Center in Peru in Tarapoto. So this is going to happen November 30th to December 7th of this year. So if people are interested in having an ayahuasca session with you and Shaman Herbert Quinteros, how would they find out about that? Would they just go to the website and will they be with you and Herbert directly? Like how, how, what is the retreat like? Yeah, well, if they want information, where they got the prices and the requirements and the schedule for what we do, it's on positivecreations.ca. That's my webpage. 
And um, yeah, like I just want to make it clear that even though I'm there, I'm not like the shaman or the guy facilitating the shamanic experience. I'm just another patient. I'm so healing myself. I've learned a lot in the last 30 plus, you know, uh, ceremonies and, and I'm, 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 I'm kind of like an amp, you know, when, when it comes to the, the ceremony, I'm not the one singing, you know, but I'm the one who can, uh, amplify the, uh, energy or vibrations. I, I got my own powers, but I'm not the, the conductor per se, you know, Herbert is the conductor. And he does a great job conducting, and I wouldn't want that role because that's the role that uh, you kind of got to focus on it. I couldn't just be an artist and be a shaman on the side. I would have to, like, really, um, you know, get into it full on, like live in the jungle and do a bunch of dietas and really, you know, win against all of my fears, <laughs> which I still haven't gotten there yet. Um, so describe so there's shamanic aspects of myself, but yeah, I'll descri- what? describe what happens in this retreat. Like, what what is the flow of the retreat? If somebody was interested in coming and doing this with you and you, and the shaman Herbert Quinteras, how how okay, well, what does that look like? Basically, I, I I teach art every day. That's the main the main thing is I teach art every day, and I have a guest teacher who's one of uh, Pablo Maringo's main student, Pablo Marino is the main ayahuasca painter who's already dead, and this is elder student who's my guest teacher. Um, we live in these huts in the jungle, There's no electricity, uh, but it's clean, and each hut has a bathroom. There's a river. We swim the river. On the first day, we do Temascal, so basically it's like a sweat lodge with a guy who, who's a Herbert's cousin who's trained with the fire dancers in North America. And uh, we do the ceremonies at night, every second night. There's three ceremonies, and it's one day yes, one day no. And uh, because it's good to give yourself time to integrate the lessons of the ceremonies before you, you know, get into the next one. There's sure. a lot to learn, you know. And uh, sometimes you, like, you end these ceremonies, and you're just sitting there being like, what the fuck was that? Like, okay, like, what? Because God's just trying to teach you like what he is, what she is. And you just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, okay, I'm back to the physical realm. This makes no sense. <laughs> right. So could a person that has never had a psychedelic experience in their life, never even, let's say they never even smoked cannabis one time in their life, could they come down there and have a safe experience? Is it overwhelming for certain people? Um, I think people could do that. And uh, we basically have medical forms where we say what the experience is of each person. And then the center, Qatari Center, decides if it's for them or not. That said, I took my parents last year, my 70-year-old mom and my 70-year-old dad. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah. And they're so not psychedelic. They're like, they're parents. You know, and then their parents in their seventies, and for years I was bugging them, "Come on to the jungle, me. Come on to the jungle, me. It's gonna be good for you. It's gonna be healing for you. You guys fight all the time. Come on, face your demon." And they're like, "No, no, no, no. That sounds weird." Blah blah blah. But then every year they see me coming back from the jungle with a big smile on my face because I love myself more and more each time. And they're like, "Oh man, maybe like we should give this a try." 
and they see my videos and they see how my life is like a good life. And they, they re- they've learned to respect me and to love me. Well, they always love me, but love me for the crazy, you know, I was a drinking person that I am. And they give it a shot. So Herbert, seeing who they are and their age and everything, will go easy on them. They'll give them a small cup. They'll give them something they can handle without destroying them or maybe what they need at the time. And yeah, they did fine. So my mom does not smoke weed or do anything. So and she handled it. So yeah, anyway, I can do it. But it's also not for everybody. Um, what did they tell and, you that uh, they- we got to be? I'm sorry. What did they tell you they gained from the experience? Your parents who had never done anything like this before. Well, it, it, it's funny because my dad, like on his first trip, when he was telling the group what happened, he's like, it, it felt like all these books were falling off these shelves. And it felt like all these files were getting deleted. But I don't know what it means. And we're all like, oh, my God, like ayahuasca is just kind of like, you know, erasing all this bullshit data that you got inside yourself that just you know, you picked up all your life and you don't need all these old books and data. And ayahuasca is just kind of like removing it from you to kind of like open up some space for something good. Then he's throwing up a lot and he doesn't really like it. But I'm like, he's like, look, dad, you got to throw up all this fucking negativity you picked up from living in Lima all your life and all these prejudgments and negative racist codes of the past. You know, like you, you got to get rid of all that shit. You know, like it's not, you know, realize how we're all this oneness and you know all this programming it's it's unnecessary so you know they go back to their more normal lives and then my mom saw like uh colors they both saw things my dad saw like a panther made out of jewels and he thought it was very interesting my mom saw all these like cobwebs with colors and stars and flowers she thought it was very pretty she drew it later and my dad saw some cool things too He's, my dad struggled a lot. He threw up a lot, but by the last one, he kind of like got clean. He had a big smile on his face, and he kind of like got it, you know. Yeah. Um, was he able? And, and, and we, I'm sorry. Were, were they able to connect with the the God aspect of it, the divine aspect of it, or was that maybe later? I think it was too early for them to go too deep in the void. I, I think if my mom went too deep into the void, it would kind of hurt her because it's a little bit shocking. You kind of gotta warm up to that or be up to going that deep. And Herbert didn't give them that big of a dose to really, really go that deep. Maybe if she kept on doing it, she could uh, get used to what it is. Because it also makes you very sick. The deeper you go in the void, the more the body is saying like, get this shit out of me. Like, you know, and I don't want to make my dad super sick, you know. But, uh, once we got back to our home and like friends would come over, they would always talk about like, oh yeah. And the friends would be like, whoa, you went to a jungle, did ayahuasca, how was that? And they're all like, oh, it actually was really amazing. And I saw these things, da, 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 da. And I, I used to have like, like this hand that really hurt, doesn't hurt anymore. And I used to have hemorrhoids for years. I don't have hemorrhoids anymore. <laughs> My dad talking at the lunch table about how he doesn't have hemorrhoids anymore <laughs> with big pride. So that was cool. Well, you got to thank Mother Aya for that one, right? Like, it can even get rid yeah. of your hemorrhoids if, if so be. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Who needs, uh, you know, preparation H when you got Aya? <laughs> you got preparation ayahuasca. So you, uh, you're such, you seem like a really cool guy. You're really enlightening. You're really fun to talk to. It seems like you have a very deep thank perspective you. based on your experiences. Um, 
where do you think your intuition, where is it telling you that humanity is going? What, what, what do you think personally, your own intuition, what do you think humanity, where are we going? What, what's going to happen in your, in your mind? Well, as I told you before, I've been told that the video, video game already got one. Now, how long it takes for us to get there is up to us, and it's up to us as a collective. I'm just doing my part in my individual life so that we get there quicker, so we suffer less, because who likes to suffer, right? Um but then there's other people too, and they also have to do their work. And if they don't do their work, I got to kind of like go into the same direction as them because it's kind of like a group vote. If we all vote for like the bad timeline to happen, then we all end up there. But I'm, I'm just – and then other people say that there's two timelines split, splitting up right now where the people who want to go to the negative timeline of domination and – and, you know, just negativity and, and separation will go there because that's what they're choosing for and that's where they need to learn their lessons. It's not something bad, but it's just what they're vibrating towards. And those who think that humanity will awake and that it's inevitable that we're becoming loved and that they won't keep us asleep forever, um, that we will get there. Those who vibrate that um, frequency will go to that timeline. So I'm just trying to be love. I'm just trying to share love, do beautiful art, keep it positive. Also be aware of the negativities in the world and not get led astray into a world of too much uh, control and domination. But also not fighting or trying to win perspectives over anybody else because everybody's got the right to their own perspective. Uh, definitely think there's a lot of lies in this world right now that I hope we can all wake up from these illusions. Uh, uh, including the viruses and, and stuff, and that we can all keep on moving into a world that's more fair. But also, there was a necessity for these illusions and these viruses and these methods of control and etc. to happen for us to realize that we're sick and tired of it. You know, it's been happening for too long on humanity, and we, you know, we're ready for the better chapter. But we have to all manifest this together and so, choose the right yeah, timeline. It's, it's hard when it gets political. Right, right. Vibrate the right timeline for myself, but hopefully as many people who want to jump on it too, like, um, that's what I'm, I guess that's what my art's all about, you know, let's keep it positive, you know, let's keep, stay strong through the separation, let's uh, know that positivity is coming after, or, or that's already here if we choose to observe it as such, because it's all perspective. Um, so you're just so yeah, trying to help people get, get their uh, energy, their frequency in a certain place so they can leap towards that beautiful timeline where we end up on heaven on earth. So the more people, the more right, with your but, artwork but, but with our I have to do it for myself first though. Right. Cause well, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. Right. But I have to, I, I... right. Right. Exactly. Like if, if I'm bummed out, then how can I cheer anybody up? You know, or, or even, you know, sometimes I'm bummed out and can be honest about being bummed out. And that actually cheers somebody up because like, wow, well, at least not, I'm not bummed out by myself. Basically, I'm just trying to be honest with whatever part of my process I'm at, you know? Like, I've definitely had some really sad times. Like, I just broke up with my girlfriend. We were supposed to get married. And that didn't work out. So, definitely, I had enough oh, reasons to be sad. But... I, I just have to keep on seeing it from the higher perspective where everything's meant to be. And I just got to go with the flow 
and not put too much resistance, just surrender to the experience that the universe is giving me and keep on growing and uh, keep on choosing love, you know? Surrender to experience and keep on choosing love. So that's what I'm up to. And uh, if anybody else resonates with that, hopefully we all keep on doing it. And then we keep on vibrating the better world towards us. That was absolutely beautiful, Chris. I feel the exact same way. We've had an incredible podcast. We've got pretty much a condensed version of your life story with some really interesting highlights. Maybe some things you've never said before. I don't know. But it does seem like you have been a role model for personal development. At the very least, you can say that you're a role model for personal development because you had a life where you didn't feel like you were in the right place, but through your own choices and guidance and the situations that you found yourself in, you were able to evolve. You chose the path of love. You made the conscious choice for the frequency of love. You could have chose the other way, but you chose love, and therefore you're resonating that love Mm. out there into the universe. And I just appreciate you so much, and I just want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, I think it's inevitable. I think everybody will do that. And it, it's just about the, the speed uh, of how soon or later you want to choose love. And that's what I keep on. Whenever I go to the ayahuasca void once again, I'm sorry, I'm always bringing up ayahuasca. No, as it's fine. Teacher, but that's where I can speak with God more clearly. Um, it's almost like my mind is playing chess with God. And the mind's like, hmm. I want to do this. And God's like, no, man, it's all love. It's like, no, but what about this trauma? It's like, no, man, it's all love. At the end of the day, the only way you're going to succeed, Chris, mind, everythingness, is if you choose love. So eventually you will love. And I got all the time of the world. I'm God, you know, like I got eternity and infinity. And eventually you will become me again. And I am love. It's just a matter of time. So fight it all you want. But eventually, you just got to fucking surrender and become the love you already are. So, you know, that's what's going to happen to humanity and to every one of us eventually. may happen in this lifetime or the next one or in a million lifetimes. Eventually, we all will become back to God and the love that it is and that we are. So, so some, might as well just give it up right now, no? <laughs> yeah, we might as well just stop playing the games. Embrace love now, and we'll just get to heaven on earth that much faster. One question I want to ask before we go, we got a few more minutes left. Right. One question I want to ask you is some people feel that humanity has kind of gone too far, that we actually need outside help in order to save ourselves and save our planet. Not necessarily something I personally ascribe to, but some people believe it whether they're angels or aliens, that we were past the point of no return, that we need outside help. What's your opinion on that? Um, well, I believe the problems of the world all have solutions. And a lot of these solutions are technological solutions. Right now, we're kind of in this place where we're fearing technology because the people uh, handling technologies don't have the best intentions. They just want to keep on making us more and more into slaves. So they could use the AI to like, you know, just put us totally under their control. But in reality, if we were a conscious uh, society that just wants everybody to live happy and in love, we could use the technology to liberate us in a lot of ways, including free energy and uh, just, you know, food and water and shelter for everybody. It's, the technology is already there. The, the, the free energy technology 
exists on planet Earth right now, may it be alien or whatever, or from outside the planet, the solutions from outside the planet are already here on this planet, but they're not being allowed for us to access. But I'm hoping they will be, you know, like I, I got to have hope that eventually somebody's going to be like, fuck this shit, you know, let humanity just be okay. <laughs> so here's your free energy and here's the the answers for us to just kind of like, you know, figure the equation out wherever I can live, live in peace and, and harmony to some degree or, you know, start accepting each other. But we still each and one of us got to win that inner battle between good and evil. We're not going to turn into a good society if all of us are a bunch of assholes, you know, they're still judging others for our differences. And we all do it in some degree. So we're working through that, you know, we're trying to be less racist, we're trying to be less sexist, we're trying to be less everything. And um, even as good guys, you know, make mistakes. And uh, but we're learning, and we're growing. The, the thing is moving forward. And I do, I am optimistic. And I do believe positive technology could come and help us clean the water and, you know, fix the environmental issues we have right now. I, I do believe it's a possibility. And if, and if not, and if we do actually fuck it up and we destroy everything, we die. It doesn't even matter that much neither because we're eternal God beings that when you die, you don't really die. You're eternal and you go back to the bliss of the body of God. So, you know, it's not like I'm saying like, fuck it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, let's try our best. But, you know, if it doesn't work out, don't be so bummed up neither because it's just a virtual reality simulation. Right. And, and know, it's infinite. You're having this awesome experience. Yeah. I just did a painting of uh, Shiva, uh, the, uh, what's it called? Nataraja Shiva, where he's dancing, the cosmic dancer. And he's dancing between destruction and creation. And in this painting, the the iconic meaning of it is that Shiva is okay being a god that destroys all of physical reality because sometimes things need to be destroyed in order for them to create once again something new. And in, with one of his many hands, he's doing this kind of like arm symbol and it means don't fear because nothing really dies. We're all eternal. So even though this looks like terrible destruction, nothing really gets destroyed because we're all eternal beings. So that's something I needed to paint these days to remind myself that even though the world seems like it's being destroyed in some way, it's just part of the new creation of something better to come. And even if everything destroys and we all die, we're still eternal beings. So we never really die. So we got to drop that fear. Right. The soul's journey could take place on another planet in another body vehicle and you still could be learning the lessons you need as a soul progressing in order to reach those higher dimensions. Doesn't have to be necessarily on earth if we burn it out through whatever processes, sure. but you know, it, it just never ends. Right. But I, I, I don't, don't, it doesn't even resonate. Right. But I don't even believe that humanity could really die anytime soon. I don't you know? Even if we, a lot of us do die, we, we will still come back later in a thousand years and start again and do all of this again. And maybe next time we get it right. I'm sure this is probably like our third or fifth time giving it a shot, but we just don't know, you know, because once we destroy the earth, things get buried or sunk under the ocean. And then we're like, Oh, we're the first ones. Oh, we know so much. <laughs> well, the Hopi, uh, the Hopi, the tribe, the native American Hopi Indians of, 
uh, Arizona, they had a representative speak publicly about six or seven years ago and say, it might've been more like 10 years ago. They said that we have passed the point where we had blown ourselves up previously in our development as humans. We are now in a place where we've never been before. We chose what they called the one heart path or the single heart path, which means we are in a brand new place as humans and we're now destined towards the heaven on earth. We're, we're past the point where we're going to blow ourselves up according to the Hopi. Cool. Nice. I could see that. I got a lot of faith in humanity. And once again, the reason why we all think we're blowing it is because the media keeps on telling us, look how terrible things are. Oh, you suck. You suck. Because they know that we all vote into the quantum field and by our, by our beliefs. So the biggest war happening right now is a war of information and over our consciousness for us to believe that we're good, that we're bad, that other humans are bad and that they don't deserve to live, that um, that we're blowing it and that we're this, you know, we're in this world full of disease and infection and blah, blah, blah. Like basically if they convince us that everything's terrible, then we vibrate that and we manifest it together. But that's why we, us positive conscious people have to be like, Hey, no, things are actually really good. Love is awakening. Consciousness is awakening. More and more people want to be good now. Like it's become hip to be good. Back in the day, it was hip to be an asshole. And now it's like, Hey, actually let's, eat better and let's not destroy the environment and let's not be racist like it's actually unhip to be racist well you know or any kind of judgmental way towards others and that's huge you know that's a huge movement in just like a couple decades so yeah it's cool to be conscious very optimistic you know yeah yeah so it's it's amazing and i think uh it's all about constantly being aware of the messages they're telling us through the media. Say, I, I don't watch TV, but I look look a lot of uh, Netflix, and um, and there's some really great documentaries on Netflix that are really like awakening and stuff, and uh, that I really appreciate. The last one I watched was the one about uh, cell phones. What it was called, the social dilemma, and. It had a lot of good questions and, and points about like, hey, like if everybody's on the phone, are we being convinced about this and that? And it had a lot of points of like, hey, let's be more conscious so that we don't get, you know, become these numb robots doing whatever the corporations tell us. Great message. But in the middle of it, they're giving and also don't get convinced to go out and protest and get into trouble. It's like, well, what's wrong with protesting? You know, like whatever you're protesting about, it's about you not being happy with what the government or the powers that be are giving you. And I think that's a total important right for humanity to have. And I think it's really valuable for us to have social media to communicate uh, points of views that are different what, from what the mainstream media are telling us. May it be true or misinformation, that's for us to kind of like, you know, dissect and choose. But definitely you don't want that taken away neither and only have one narrative because whoever controls a narrative that, you know, well, that's like you said, the vote, too. the vote in the quantum field, like you said, you know, if they control the stream of information, they control right. what you're projecting into the quantum field and then what manifests in reality. Right. Well, Chris, so I just, it's important oh, sorry, go ahead. to be very aware of what we're being. Yeah. So it's important to be very aware of what we're being fed and to either, you know, 
choose to believe it or choose to not to believe it or choose, you know, but either way, always have an open mind that it could be not true neither, you know, like we, we have to decide our own uh, perspectives of what, uh, what our world's about and what we want the world to be about. And we can't so trust. That we're doing that all together and we're figuring it out. And we can't trust people's pre-digested information. We have to go to the source of information now to find out for ourselves. It's no matter where people lie in various belief systems, it's hard to get factual information from the media anymore on any side. So it's so you really have to get to the fountainhead right. of situations to find out what exactly is going on. But Chris, I just want to say thank you so Tricky. much for being on the podcast. We could go on for hours and hours. We're going to have you back. I feel like as this podcast grows, we're already growing. We have listeners all over the world. We're just going to have you back and you can be a voice for ayahuasca on our podcast. Okay, how, do you, sounds good. how do you feel about that? Well, I don't know if I want to be an ayahuasca spokesperson, <laughs> but I'll tell you my experiences. <laughs> I thought you were the ayahuasca dude. Wait a minute. I'll be just an ayahuasca dude. <laughs> ayahuasca dude. <laughs> my new title. Yeah. And your website is positivecreations.ca. So if you're interested in, in doing a yeah. shamanic retreat, look into that website. It'll have all the information there. The next one is November 30th, 2020 in Tarapoto, Peru. I highly recommend it. Just having this conversation with you has been enlightening for me. And I just want to say thank you again. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Yeah, I hope that uh, people join us. We, we already got 15 people signed up. Even with the COVID, people were still signing up. So I was like, great. That means we're going to manifest this, you know, like the borders will open in Peru and we'll all meet up in the jungle soon as we do every end of the year, which is my favorite time of the year. I, I love it. It's such a special um, situation out there. All right. Well, on that note, we're just going to say goodbye. Thank you, Mr. Chris Dyer. We will be in touch with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.